Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Hi, and thanks so much for joining me. Uh, This is Dr. Fred, and we are going to be dealing with Part 3 of Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. Now, we've covered several aspects of Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 in our last couple of posts in this series, and if we know anything, we know that these two chapters, well, they can be kind of complex, largely because they deal with prophetic discourse. However, this does not make them uh, impossible to understand. Several other chapters in Revelation also deal with and more fully explain the seven heads, the ten horns, the eleventh horn, along with the situation connected with Babylon, whether it's an actual city, a system that is the foundation upon which all trade in the world exists, over which a harlot, false religious system, dominates, or if it's both of these things. We'll have to deal with the possible identities of the seven heads and ten horns in another article. Now, it is understandably, I think, difficult to simply pick a chapter here or there of this particular book of the Bible or that one and try to make sense out of it without concerning ourselves with other chapters of the Bible. This is largely due to the fact that much of the Bible hinges upon other parts of the Bible. There is true interconnection throughout the Bible that God designed when he ultimately wrote all of it. This is why it is extremely dangerous to take a verse or two of Scripture and build a theology or doctrine on it. Many have done this, and ultimately, they have shipwrecked their faith, 1 Timothy 1.19. Now, ultimately, Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 speak of the rise of what I believe to be the final future kingdom, the fourth beast, or the revised Roman Empire, if you will. And it's eventually going to become this future Roman Empire. And I want to emphasize future. It's not here yet. This coming kingdom will at the very least be headquartered in the area of what used to be the Roman Empire. In fact, Revelation 17 outlines more specifics of this coming beast over which this harlot Babylon sits. Revelation 16 highlights the last seven judgments of God, the bold judgments, which seem to pour out in quick succession, and Revelation 18 describes the final fall of Babylon and how the world reacts to that fall. Now, obviously, we are talking about a system of trade here because of all the merchants involved. However, I also believe that Antichrist will revive, certainly to some extent, either the ancient city of Babylon or create another one as his headquarters. Wouldn't it be amazing to the world, and they would marvel at the kind of gardens that um, Nebuchadnezzar was said to have in his kingdom of Babylon and all the waterways. That would be fascinating. And if anyone could do it, it would be Antichrist. Now, we are talking about a system of trade here, though. And we, I also believe, are talking about a physical city. And I would not be surprised if that is recreated under Antichrist's watch and rule, and it is a place where his headquarters are. And let's recall, by the way, that the late dictator Saddam Hussein was working diligently on resurrecting old Babylon. Much of it, or at least some of it, is uncovered. He built himself a palatial mansion overlooking the ruins of Babylon. And he also referred to himself as the son of Nebuchadnezzar. I've written about that before. Now, in 1 Peter 5.13, the Apostle Peter sends greetings from Babylon, 
quote unquote, he called it that, which he connects with Rome, since that's where he was at the time that he wrote. Now, we can deal with the details in a later article, but it may well have to do with Rome, even though it was a powerful kingdom, was also a religious center at the time. And if we consider the power that the Vatican still housed in Rome has now, and what this particular pope is attempting to bring about by connecting Islam with Judaism and Christianity, it makes us pause, right? It makes us really think about what the possibilities may well be. However, for now, let's continue with Daniel 7, where we left off in our last article in this series. Now, in Daniel 7, 9 through 10, there's a brief parenthesis, if you will. While certain actions are happening on the earth in Daniel's vision, he also sees what's happening in the throne room of God the Son. Here's what it says. I watched till the thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. Uh-oh. Well, the above two verses highlight the fact that Jesus is judge and he is preparing to mete out perfect justice. The imagery reminds us of the opening verses of Ezekiel to some extent. Daniel watches the unfolding of events here in the heavenly realms. And then Daniel's vision switches back to what's happening on the earth in verses 11 through 12, which say, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season. The beast here is not the horn, clearly. Two different things. They are mentioned separately, though they are connected. The horn, Antichrist, rises out of the last head of this beast and becomes the sole leader of this beast, the final revived Roman Empire. Now, Daniel is referring to the horn speaking pompously. His arrogance and blasphemous words are due to his hatred of God and for which all God stands. And this hatred and arrogance is due to the fact that Satan, as we will learn from Revelation 13, also hates God, gives this horn his own power and authority. Now, if Satan hates God and his creation, it stands to reason that this 11th horn, or Antichrist, will do the same. So this horn, Antichrist, is Satan's next-to-last attempt to overthrow God, and he will fail. His final attempt occurs after Satan, as Satan, is released from the bottomless pit. Antichrist is gone, by the way, but after Satan is released from the bottomless pit following his 1,000-year imprisonment in Revelation 20, he tries again to overthrow God. But we are now seeing, in 2021, the results of Satan's efforts as he works behind the scenes through specific human beings we call globalists, to build the final kingdom over which the Antichrist will rule. So in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, and I apologize for jumping all around, but I did warn you, you can't just look at one chapter and make all the decisions from that chapter. But in Daniel 9, 24 to 27, we learn of the exact event 
that starts the clock ticking for the final week or seven years called the tribulation. That event is when Antichrist, who is the prince in those verses of Daniel, small p, brokers a deal with Israel and surrounding Arab nations. Revelation does not talk specifically about this agreement or covenant in the first seal of Revelation 6, though it's certainly implied, but it does specifically mention this coming man of sin on a white horse, doesn't call him a man of sin, but he is, the coming man on a white horse who brings peace. And obviously, this is a temporary fake peace. And he breaks that peace treaty himself three and a half years into it. That's why he's the man of sin. What is interesting to me is that the tribulation starts with the first seal opening here in Revelation 6. But Daniel records that it is the actual signing of the peace deal with Israel and Arab nations that begins the seven-year tribulation. And here's my point in the form of a question. Is it possible that Antichrist arrives on the world scene, but it takes a while of using political intrigue to gain a following, so to speak? And after a matter of time, he finally brokers the deal for peace in the Middle East. Is that possible? When he does, then it will become clear to any believers living during that time that he is the guy who will head up the final beast kingdom. And we know from Paul's writings to the Thessalonians that the Antichrist is revealed for who he really is when he desecrates the temple, 2 Thessalonians 2. This revealing will be for the Jews, especially since he will be pulling the wool over their eyes in the beginning of the tribulation with the peace deal, getting them to take him into their confidence. But unbeknownst to them, he really does it so that they can build the temple and that he can desecrate it by claiming to be God while sitting in the Holy of Holies, something that Jesus referred to as the abomination of desolation, Matthew 24. To the globalists, the ten kings or horns, the Antichrist will not be part of their inner circle of ten. I've already mentioned that. He comes up outside them. So we saw this last time. He rises up outside of their circle as the eleventh. He will then pluck up three of the ten, and that probably means he's going to kill three, which leaves seven, and he himself will become the eighth. Interestingly enough, this eighth horn will rule by himself, and the remaining seven horns will promise and pledge their loyalty to him. I mean, think about it. What a kick in the teeth. After all they've done, all the grunt work in laying the solid foundation for this final revised empire in which they were convinced they would rule. So, getting back to Daniel 7, 11 through 12, quoted above, please note several facts. The beast is slain. The body destroyed, given to the flame. That's the lake of fire. The remaining seven beasts were not destroyed at that time, but lost their kingdoms. Their lives were preserved for a short while, a season and a time. Now, most conservative Bible scholars believe the reference to the beast being slain and rising again has to do with one of the empires equaling one of the heads. Uh, We're going to have to get more into this in an upcoming article in this series, but consider that it appears that the beast who is slain ties in with Revelation 17, 8, where this same beast is mentioned again as the one who, quote, was, is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and then go to perdition, unquote. This is likely referring to the beast with the Antichrist ruling it who actually manages to resurrect that ancient empire of Rome. The 
Antichrist is connected to this future revived Roman Empire. And because of this, the wording can be a bit confusing, but if we consider that Antichrist is the one who brings the Roman Empire back from the dead, he is inextricably connected to that future empire, much like Caesar was connected to ancient Rome. When Caesar was mentioned in ancient times, the connection to the Roman Empire was instantly also recognized. Caesar was Rome. And mentioning either one referred to and meant the other. So it will be with Antichrist, who will, because of his gifted supernatural powers, actually recreate the old Roman Empire. And people throughout the world will marvel at that. And what will his name be? No idea. Which is why I think it's ridiculous that people try to figure out what 666 means. We won't know that until the world knows what this guy's name is. But we can bet his name will be fully connected to the empire that he raises. Uh, so that's important to know that. Now, in the future, his name will be synonymous with this resurrected empire. You know, it's funny how they've tried to make the EU work. And they've been trying to do that for decades. But it is splintered with some countries leaving, others wanting to leave. And when Antichrist resuscitates the old Roman Empire, the world will absolutely be astounded. One future man will do what many have tried and failed to do, including the UN. He will not simply revive it, but most likely empower this beast, revive Roman Empire with tremendous power and substance. The rest of the world will look on and wonder probably wanting very much to be a part of it if they're not over there in Europe. Now, while some commentators have stated that the Antichrist will die and rise again, that's what they're talking about, you know, who was, was not, will rise again. They, they think that this is imitating the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that's how the whole world decides to follow him. But it seems more likely to me that the coming Antichrist will have the miraculous ability to recreate the old Roman Empire that was, but is not, and will be, modernizing it with supernatural miracles in today's technology. Again, since the four beasts of Daniel 2 were all centered in roughly the same geographical area of the world, including the current EU, by the way, this future Roman Empire will also most likely be centered in that same geographical area and could ultimately include certainly the EU that exists now, and maybe the entire world, I could probably spend three more articles on just this subject, but that would probably get a little bit tedious. Now, next time, we're going to deal with uh, the possible identities of the seven heads and the ten horns, and uh, before we move on, as you can imagine, there are numerous attempts to identify them, especially the seven heads. The connection with the ten toes to the ten horns is interesting. Of course, what I'm going to present are just simply theories, good ideas. So again, the readers uh, and listeners will need to continue to research and make up their own minds. I want to thank you for joining me. I hope you had a great Christmas, and um, I look forward to God moving in 2022. And until we meet again, I pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in Him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts 
that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 